So uh, tonight we are going to continue in the book of Genesis, and um, you know I, I, I'm just so I'm so excited for the passage that has been handed to me because it is just the most encouraging, uplifting, just non-confrontational, non-controversial passage of scripture you could think of. Um, <laughs> it's about Lot. And uh, if you guys were here last week, uh, he, he lost everything last week. He, he lost his family, his fame, his fortune, his friends, um, and, and now he's hiding uh, because the judgment of the Lord came upon the city he was living in, and he's, he's living in a cave right now with uh, two of his daughters, and they decide to do something that is... You know, like something out of a bad soap opera, like somebody would write a script for a soap opera episode and it would never pass. Um, and that's what happens here. And, and really, this is just a picture of compromise at its worst. And we're going to talk about compromise, something we all deal with. So I want to start by just reading the passage, um, landing there, getting kind of the, the context of it, and then we'll go back and we'll... Um, dive deeper into it. So if you have your Bible, Genesis 19, we're going to pick up in verse 30. Genesis 19, verse 30. You can follow along. It says, now Lot went up out of Zoar. Zoar is a little town. It, it actually means little. And it, it was a little town outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, that's the place Lot had asked to go when the fire um, was coming down from heaven. Um, he asked to go to this little town called Zoar. But it says he went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. Now, it doesn't tell us why he was afraid uh, that he was in Zoar uh, or uh, why he left. Um, maybe because he thought, you know, God's judgment wasn't done, and, and it was going to hit Zoar. Uh, maybe he thought the other people in the city, if, if there were people still there, maybe he thought they would blame him for what just happened, and so um, he, he, he was in hiding. Um, whatever the reason, he left, and he goes to the hills in Zoar. If you've ever been to Israel, or if you've seen it on a map, or if you Google it or whatever, the hills of Zoar are, are probably the caves next to the Dead Sea, and if you know anything about the caves next to the Dead Sea, that's where they found um, one of the greatest treasures in uh, ancient Near East literature. They found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found these texts of the Old Testament that were thousands of years old, and they were preserved because they were in these caves. And so Lot probably went into these caves because um, it's, it's very isolated, very hard to get to, and it, he could hide from other people. Also, the temperature is great. If you've been to the Dead Sea, it's kind of like being in Palm Springs or something like that. It's just blazing hot, and so it's nice and cool in the caves, and so um, that's where he's at, and he's just there with him and his two daughters, um, and that's probably the only positive part about this passage. It just goes downhill from here. It says in verse 31, and the firstborn, his oldest daughter, said to the younger, our father is old, so nice of them, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Now, the text again doesn't explain whether this daughter really believed this. 
You know, maybe she was expressing what she thought to be true. There was nobody left on earth besides Lot and her and her younger sister. Or maybe she was just exaggerating. She, she was just exaggerating, like, we don't know if we're ever gonna find a man again, and, and Lot's, you know, our dad's kind of our, our last chance at having children. Uh, or, or maybe she was making an excuse. Um, she already knew in her mind what she wanted to do, and so she's beginning to rationalize in her mind to make it you know, sound like there's no other circumstance. You know, she has to do this horrible deed with her father. There's, there's nothing else she can do. Uh, again, we're not told exactly. Verse 32, she says to her sister, come, let us make our father drink wine. And we're not talking just ha- have a little glass with dinner. She wanted to get him drunk, drunk as can be, uh, because she didn't want him to um, have, have any sense of right and wrong where, where he, he, would, he would stop this from happening. So she wanted to get him as drunk as possible. So let us uh, make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve os- offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. I mean, it's as bad as it seems, you know, as you read it. Um, he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Um, and the text is trying to tell us here that Lot had no part in this. Lot, Lot didn't give the okay on this. He, he was duped in, in, a, in a sense. But we're going to talk about how he's still responsible uh, for some of the actions. Uh, verse 34, the next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. Notice I don't see Job putting up any fight about drinking the wine. You know, he could have did something there. Um, but, you know, who knows? He, maybe he thought this was the end of the world. And so, you know, it's the apocalypse. He's just going to drink and, you know, enjoy the rest of his days that he has alone. So uh, they made their father drink wine, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Again, he was unaware of the events. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. And you're just like, man, this is a crazy family. (laughs) Like, how did they get to this point of compromise? We'll talk about that. The firstborn, verse 37, bore a son and called his name Moab. And, and Moab uh, is similar in Hebrew to the phrase, from my father. So she gave her son the most literal name possible, from my father. Um, I, I don't know if she did that, you know, just to remember the circumstances um, of what they had to go through. We don't know exactly, but that's what uh, Moab's name means, from my father. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. This is Moses writing this. Um, you know, Moses uh, wrote this probably sometime before he, the Israelites went into the promised land. Um, so from that day, you know, the children of Israel, they, they've probably already wandered. They've left Egypt. They're about to cross over into the promised land. Um, and so the Moabites were, were a very large people group, just like Israel at that time. And the younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. 
And Ben Ami kind of it means uh, son of my family, uh, son son of my people. Um, so again, uh, the name is is describing really what happened. That you know, my son is like a son of you know my own relatives. Uh, he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Another people group that was large when Moses wrote this. So there you have it. Um, Thank you so much, pastoral team, for giving the text. And notice, they, they all left. You know, they got graduations and stuff like that. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> if there's anything we know about our pastor, he's not ashamed to preach the word of God, no matter how difficult the text might be. So let's pray, and let's ask God to, to bless our time in this text. Father, thank you for those that are here. God, you've called them. They're here for a purpose God, I don't believe anything happens by accident. Everything happens by your divine providence. And so we are in this room for a purpose and a plan. God, there is a work you want to do in us. Even if we don't feel like this passage applies to us, it does because we wouldn't be in this room. God, you have a reason for us being here. And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak to each of us whatever we need to hear tonight. We would hear it. We would receive it. Open our hearts to, to uh, experience Jesus, open our eyes to see the work of your spirit, open up our minds, Father, to obey your will. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you guys have ever compromised on something? Anybody? Ever compromised? Yeah, all the youth have their hand up. They are very self-aware, um, which, which is a good thing, right? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've all compromised. Now, compromising can be a good thing. Let's, let's start there. Compromising can be a good thing. Uh, for example, um, some of us put too high of expectations on ourselves or on other people. You know, like it's a new year, it's a new me, I'm gonna go to the gym every day, I'm gonna work out for two hours, I'm gonna eat healthy, this is gonna be my year, right? And then like 30 minutes into January 1st, you know, you've already eaten like five donuts and you're too tired to go to the gym and, you know, two weeks later, you're like, okay, I need, I need to compromise on my expectations here. I, I need to make it a little more realistic or sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of other people you know we put these standards on them that they, they that we think they should abide by the way they should treat us or or things like that you know us as parents we can do that with our kids and sometimes we need to compromise we need to make our expectations a little more realistic um, you know compromise is also a good thing in marriage right <laughs> I mean, um, if, if, if we didn't compromise on things, we'd never agree on anything, right? Uh, where to eat, uh, what movie to watch, where to go on vacation, you know, all of the things that the wife gets to do, you know, whatever she wants. Um, us guys, we have to compromise, you know? We got to let our wives, um, you know, be happy, right? Happy wife, happy life. So, you know, compromise is, is important, and I, and I know it goes, it goes both ways. So compromise can be a good thing, but compromise can also be a very dangerous and a very bad thing. Um, now, here, here's a lighter example uh, of that. Um, there is a cultural phenomenon now called binge-watching. 
You heard, that, heard about this? Binge watching. Um, it, it really is created by Netflix and, and online streaming where you don't have to wait once a week to watch an episode. You can just watch the whole season in one night, right? And that's binge watching. Um, or you watch two seasons or three seasons or however many hours there are in the day to fit in uh, before you literally pass out. That's how many uh, seasons you can get through. Um, and and it's, it's really built on the idea of compromise, right? You're just like, just one more episode. I just, I just got to watch. The, that, that one had such a cliffhanger. I got to watch just one more, and then I'm going to sleep, right? And then like five hours later and two seasons later, you're like, what have I done, right? It's just one small compromise after the other. Um, you know, we do this with food, right? I, I'm just going to have, you know, one cookie. That's it. Just one. I'm going to have, I'm going to have one little, just, I'm going to break off a piece of a cookie and that's, that's all I'm going to have. Right. But then once you taste it, you're like, okay, I'm just going to finish this cookie. Right. And then, and then, you know, eight cookies later, three pieces of cake later, five brownies later, and two gallons of soda later. You're just like, what happened to me? Right. Can you guys relate to this? Right. We, we all compromise on things. Um, I had a friend, um, now, to, now to, you know, make it a little more serious, kind of like our text here, I, I have a friend that I grew up with, um, we played baseball together, and um, this, this guy was just full of potential, he, he was a pitcher, um, and just a, just a great athlete, and, and he got a full scholarship to go to a private university, private Christian university, to play baseball. Um, but our, our last two years of high school um, were quite different than our first two years. Our first two years, man, we were on fire for the Lord. We were going to youth group. We were, you know, going to summer camp, all of those things. Um, I was actually known on campus as the apostle. They called me the Apostle Brian because I was always going around just sharing my faith with, with people, um, with the seniors. You know, I'm a freshman. I, I'm sharing the gospel with them. Um, you know, but my junior and senior year, you know, we wanted to be popular. We wanted to hang out with certain, certain uh, kids and certain groups. And, you know, it just led to, to one compromise after another. And some of my friends, you know, they got caught up drinking and smoking. And what ended up happening to my one friend is he went to this private university and was introduced to marijuana at a private Christian university. And he, to this day has never been able to shake that addiction. It, it went from marijuana to harder drugs. And um, to this day, I, I still follow him on social media. I, I keep up with his life, but he, he has no job. He has no direction. He has no purpose. And here's somebody that was full of potential. But because of one small compromise after the other, his, his life, you know, is just flashed before him. You know, he has, you know, all that potential he had, he's lost. Um, and that's not to say God still can't do a mighty work in him. So in this passage here, I, 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 see, um, I see that compromises have consequences. If you're, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to, to write that down. Compromises have consequences. And I want to list three of them that I see here in the text. And I wanna, I wanna develop a little bit more of this idea of, of compromise. 
So if you're taking notes, jot this first consequence down. Compromise affects our past. Compromise affects our past. If you look back at verses 30 and 31, we see Lot. We see that he's hiding in a, in a cave with his two daughters, and that's it. Why was Lot and his daughters living alone in a cave? Because of Lot's past consequence, uh, compromises. Because of his past compromises. Lot's son-in-laws died uh, because they grew up in this, in this culture of Sodom, this this uh, culture where they wanted nothing to do with the angel of the Lord telling them to flee from the city and don't look back. They, they didn't care, and they died because of that. Lot's wife died because she fell in love with Sodom's culture. She, you know, uh, grew up outside of it, but when she, she was there, just grew so, so accustomed to it that when Lot finally even tried to physically drag her out, she her heart was just dead set on going back to Sodom, and she died because of that. Lot's family could have still been alive had he not settled in Sodom's culture. He could have made a choice years ago to not take his family to Sodom, all, all the way back to when Lot and Abraham were acquiring a lot of wealth and a lot of animals, and Abraham had to make a choice. Both of us can't continue together. Um, we need to separate, and Abraham gave Lot the first choice, and Lot looked at the plains of Sodom and said, I'm going to dwell there. But he didn't just dwell outside. Slowly, he, he made his way inside of the city, and then slowly, he uh, became part of the city, and so did his family, to the point where when they were asked to leave, they didn't want to, and it cost them their lives. You see, our past compromises can affect our current circumstances. Our past compromises can affect our current circumstances. Compromises we made years ago can come back to hurt us. And that's why it's so important to not give up and not give in to compromise now because we don't know how it'll affect us in the future. We're almost saving our future self by not compromising now in the present. And I'll get a little bit real with you. Um, when, I was, when I was 13 years old, I was first introduced to online pornography. And at first, you know, it was just a, a, a small compromise. And uh, over the years, you know, it would be one more compromise after the other. And it became an ongoing battle where sometimes it wouldn't be an issue at all. And then other times it was. And, it, and I know a lot of us can, can relate to this uh, because um, the, the culture we grow up in now, you, you guys got to remember, your, your teenagers have access to online pornography at any time. But there are filters and there are programs out there that I use personally to, to protect myself. But there came a point with compromise. It got so bad that I was caught at a previous job looking at online pornography and I lost my job 
because of it. And then um, not, not too much uh, time after that, um, I, I, I told my wife, who was my fiance at the time, about it. And I was afraid that I might lose my fiance. And all because of one compromise after the other, I lost my job and almost lost my fiance and our future marriage, all because of compromise. You see, our past, our past compromises can affect our current circumstances. Number two, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Compromise affects our present. Not only does it affect our past, but it also affects our present. Look again, uh, starting in verse 32, where the two daughters come up with this idea to sleep with their father. The older, in verse 32, says, Come, let us make our father drink wine, lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. Why? Why did Lot's daughters get him drunk and then get themselves pregnant? Why did it come to such dire circumstances? Well, because of compromise. Now, the text is clear that Lot didn't come up with this idea. The text kind of takes him out of it and says this, was all, this all falls on the shoulders of his two daughters. Yet, if you think about it, did Lot force himself or did his daughters force him to drink wine? And the answer is no. Nobody forced him to do it. And in the same way, with our own compromises, we're, we're so good at blaming other people or, or blaming society or, or blaming our genetics or blaming the way we grew up instead of taking responsibility for our own actions. And Lot decided not to do that. He could have avoided this whole mess if he could have controlled himself and not let in to, to one compromise after the other. He could have just stopped with one drink, right? He, he didn't have to keep it going and keep it going. And, and in the same way, man, so many people like to convince themselves. They'll say something like this, oh, I'm just, I just stumbled into sin, or, or they have this mentality, the devil made me do it. And I'm just here to say to us, we need to take responsibility for our own actions, because if we're not willing to confess our sins before Jesus, then he's not going to be willing to heal us and forgive us, because Jesus cannot heal what we're not willing to reveal. And I know I'm just, I'm being real. I'm sorry, the text, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> It's not an easy text, and this is not an easy subject to talk about, compromise, because we all deal with it, and usually we deal with it in the dark places of our hearts, in the dark places of our lives. And as I was reading this, I, there, there were some, some commentators, very well-meaning commentators, who, who were saying, you know, maybe the, the daughters were doing something honorable. You know, maybe they thought there weren't any other human beings on the earth and this was the, the, their last chance at saving humanity. But it doesn't excuse them 
from deceiving their own father into doing this. If this was such an honorable and such a worthy thing to do, then why didn't they just ask their father to do it? Because if it was honorable, he would have said yes. But they knew deep down it was wrong, and they knew they needed to hide it. And so they knew they had to get him drunk in order to commit this, because if he wasn't drunk, there's no way he would have signed off on it. And so... They had to rationalize. They had to convince themselves that what they were doing was okay. And as I read this, I ask myself, how did it get so bad? And maybe you're asking that in your own heart, man. Why did I think that? Why did I just say that to that person? Why am I going through this circumstance? How did it ever get to this point, it's because compromise creates chaos in our lives. Compromise creates chaos in our lives, and chaos doesn't happen overnight. Tragedies take time to develop. From school shootings to sex scandals, the people that commit these acts don't just wake up one day and decide to do it. These, these acts start with, with compromise after compromise, whether it's, it's a lustful thought and, and it turns to darker thoughts and then it leads to a desire to act upon it, or maybe it's bitterness or anger uh, that, that is resonating in their heart and it's festering and, and it, they're letting it go unchecked and there's, so, there's so, such a desire for revenge inside of them and they let it go unchecked day after day, compromise after compromise and then it finally gets to a point where they do something they never thought possible. Is anybody else relating to that? That's how compromise works. It takes time to develop. And we've just recently seen some, some tragedies happen. You know, Baylor University, you know, the, the, there's a huge scandal going on with the, uh, with the football program and, and the athletic program. Um, this huge sex scandal that, that's going on. And Baylor, again, a, a Christian university. And then today, if you, you know, didn't see it on your smartphone already, there was a shooting at UCLA, two people dead, and it looks like it was a murder-suicide. And uh, one of the victims was a professor at the university. And, and, and the reason I bring these up is, is not to make light of it or, or, or just to throw it out there for shock effect. I, I say it because these things don't just happen overnight. These aren't people who just overnight there's a switch and then you know, they want to do these things. They, they meditate on this. They think about it. They have to convince themselves. You know, they, they have to deny their conscience and, and, and the, the uh, you know, God's, uh, you know, they're made in God's image. They, they have to deny, you know, that image inside of them in order to make that decision to do something so evil. And such is the case with Lot and his daughters. And then, Number three, compromise affects our future. 
Compromise affects our future. Look at verses 37 and 38. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Who are the Moabites and the Ammonites? (laughs) Two of Israel's most hated rivals. Lot's final compromise led to a legacy of pain and turmoil among the people of Israel. Let's start with the Moabites. Uh, The the Moabites, over their history, tormented Israel. Uh, Going back to Eglon in the book of Judges, he was the king of Moab. He enslaved Israel for 18 years. Uh, Balak, king of Moab, is the one who hired Balaam to curse Israel. And even though God wouldn't allow that, Balaam eventually deceived Israel into committing sexual immorality. King Solomon married Moabite women that, call, that caused him to worship a false god. And that led to the demise of his kingdom and the splintering of the people of Israel. And the Ammonites, they also tormented Israel. A Sihon, king of Ammon, all the way back when they, uh, the, the exodus out of Egypt, when they were um, trying to go into the promised land, they, they came to uh, Sihon, king of Ammon, and asked for a safe passageway through his land, and he wouldn't let them do it. And there was a war that uh, occurred because of that. Uh, the Ammonites helped hire Balaam with uh, Balak to curse and deceive Israel. Um, The Ammonites defeated Israel in the book of Judges and took the land of Gilead, which is right on the east side of the Jordan River. King Saul fought the Ammonites often, as well as King David. But after King David, the Ammonites fought with Israel and they traded victories for hundreds of years to come. Lot's compromise created complications for many, many years to come, and it affected many, many people. I'm going to ask Mike to come back up and lead us in one last song. And I want to close uh, with something encouraging. (laughs) You guys ready to hear some encouragement? (laughs) Because I know after hearing something like that, you're like, man, I got... I compromise every day. (laughs) What's God going to do with me? Well, I want to leave you with this thought, and then I want us to turn to a passage to confirm this. But listen to this thought. Even though Lot made so many compromises, he also believed in a God who could change compromise into conquest. And that's something only our God can do. He's the only one who can take something that was meant for evil and turn it into something good. 
He's the only one who can take all circumstances in our life, whether good or evil, and he can work all things together for good. Because with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And when we call upon the name of Jesus, he can change our compromise into a conquest. And that's actually, literally, what he did in the life of Lot. You think it ended poorly for Lot, you'd be mistaken. He's talked about in the book of Second Peter, if you have your Bible, turn over to this because you're not going to believe the way that Peter describes the life of Lot. This is Second Peter chapter 2, verse 6. You guys aren't going to believe me when I read this. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. And Peter is writing about really the end times and what that's going to look like. And, and he says in verse 6, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly in the book of Revelation. Verse 7, and if he rescued righteous Lot, righteous Lot, and if he rescued righteous Lot, who was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day. He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So if that's the case, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. I'm telling you, that doesn't sound right because only God can do something as miraculous as that. Because when you read the story of Lot, you don't see a righteous man. But I'm here to tell you, God doesn't look at our good behavior or our good words or our good church attendance. He looks at our faith in the only good, the only perfect one, and his name is Jesus. And he takes impossible circumstances and he makes them possible. And he can do the same thing in your life. If you feel like you're full of compromise, God can turn that into conquest. And it's not about you cleaning up your life. It's about you coming to the one who will clean up your life for you and he's already done it on the cross. He said it is finished. And if you trust in him, he will set you free and he will make you righteous. Come on, somebody. Give me an amen. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, when you read that in 2 Peter, it doesn't make any sense. And I go, exactly. The grace of God doesn't make any sense. The grace of God is scandalous. The, the, the grace of God is incomprehensible. We will never fully understand God's grace. When we get to heaven, we are just going to be amazed at, at, at what God can take and turn it into something good. It is something amazing. And I'm here to tell you, if God can declare Lot righteous, he can declare you righteous as well.
And all you have to do is cry out for a savior. Just cry out to the only true superhero. His name's Jesus. And you don't, you don't have to wait for him to come to your rescue. He's ready and willing to receive you with open arms. And I'd love to pray for you and give you an opportunity to respond to what God's spirit is doing in your heart. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for this story because we can all relate to it. Even though it's, it's not pretty. And God, you know, you don't include this story to condone it. You just include it to say this is reality. We, we are fallen people. We are broken people. And really, there's, there's two types of people in the world. There's people who know they're broken, and there's people who don't. And Lord, I want to speak into those of us that, first of all, we know we're broken. We know we've made compromises. <laughs> we're doing it right now, and we want to be like Lot. We want to be declared righteous. Whether that's for the first time coming and receiving Jesus' forgiveness or if you want to return to him. If that's you, you're like, man, my life, it's full of compromise right now, but I want to be declared righteous. I want to be changed from the inside out. I need, I need Jesus to break every chain inside of my heart. If that's you, then on the count of three, I just want you to lift up your hand and put it right back down and the reason I have you do that is because I believe something special happens when you respond to God's work in your heart by lifting up your hand. So if that's you, on the count of three, just lift up your hand and put it right back down. One, God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. Three, all over the room, just lift up your hand and put it right back down. And Lord, I also want to Pray for those in here that maybe, maybe they don't realize their own brokenness. Maybe they think they're, they're, they're doing well. But Lord, sometimes we need that reminder that there is none righteous, no, not one. You know, there is none who seek after God. We, we don't pursue you, God. We, we're, we're pursued. And you are the pursuer because of your unconditional love towards us. Maybe some of us, we've just been kind of going through the motions and we're just, man, we're just not aware. We need the grace of God. We need to stop trying to live the Christian life in our own strength and stop trying to play it safe. We need to step out and walk on water like Peter did and follow Jesus. And if that's you, if you've just been playing church safely and, you know, and maybe, maybe it's resonated in, in a judgmental or a critical spirit towards others and, and you're just like, man, God, I, I just want to make sure I'm right with you. If that's you, then on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. And I know this is going to be a lot harder for you. But if God's working in your heart, and you need to respond to him because this is what pleases God. The sacrifice that pleases him is a broken and contrite spirit. So come to him with your brokenness. Don't be afraid. 
Don't feel like you have to live up to other people's expectations or, or you feel like God's angry at you or you've, you've put this fear upon you and, and you're, you're, you're only worshiping God out of fear and instead you wanna worship him out of love. That's you. And on the count of three, just lift up your hand and put it right back down. One, two, three. All over the room. Just lift up your hand and put it right back down. God, I'm just overwhelmed. Just seeing people respond to your Holy Spirit. Just so thankful you're real, God. This isn't positive confession. This isn't some kind of mantra or The gospel, the one we cry out to, it's a person. His name's Jesus. He's alive and well. And he's reaching down to us right now. And he's just saying, come to me. I'm not angry at you. I want to give you a second chance. I want to forgive you. And I don't want to just forgive your past sins. I want to forgive your present sins. I want to forgive your future sins. I want you to follow me out of love. In this is love, not that we loved you, but God, you loved us and sent your son to die for us. So Jesus, we just receive your love tonight. God, we're turning from our sin. We're turning from our compromise We believe that in the name of Jesus, anything is possible. And so we are declaring victory in the areas of our hearts that we've been trying to battle in our own strength for too long. And now we're going to believe by faith that, God, you're going to heal us. You're going to restore us. You're going to break every chain. You're going to take those dead places, and you're going to make them come alive in Jesus' name. There is no other name given under heaven, by which men can be saved, men can be healed, and men can be set free. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. And we pray that in your name. Would you guys stand and worship?